You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API. Now from the Nowcast Network Studios, here's Mike. Hey, welcome to the Audio Nowcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez, and before we get going, let me introduce the guys. Over here, on my right, we've got Bobby Osinski. Bobby! Hey, Mike. Hey, guys. It's good to see you, Bobby. Yeah, good to be here. Thank you. And next to him, we've got Scott Gershon. Scott. Good evening, Mike. <laughs> Scott, it's good to see you. We missed you on the last one. I know. The post-NAM show. I know. Well, I, I think it was mixing or something. I forgot what I was doing. Our, mixing's good. Yeah, yeah. Just means employment. Yeah. <laughs> and across the table, we've got our one and only good friend, Nick Peck. Hello, Mike. It's <laughs> <laughs> becoming a trademark, I isn't know, it? I know. Hi, That's gentlemen. Right. How are y'all? It's, it's good to see you. You see, I went down low because I knew you were going to come in high. It's the contrast that works. And finally, sitting next to me in studio, we've got the one and only Iron Man of the Audio Nowcast, our good buddy, Mr. Rob Arbiter. Hello there, Mike. Hello, everybody. Is this it's, like a blow-up version? No, this is the actual me. Is this, this is my 5,000... Straight show, isn't That's it? That's right. It's show 145. That oh, seemed like five. Does avatars count, though? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, it's show 145. I mean, that's pretty crazy. And we're going on to just really quick, we are going on to year nine. Come April, we're going to be hitting our nine year anniversary. And they said it wouldn't last. I didn't think it was going to last. I didn't even think it was going to last past four shows. I told everybody that, but it's so true. I'm thinking, when the world are we going to talk about after like the fourth show? There's not much to say in the realm. Little of audio did we know <laughs> that the whole audio revolution was taking place right in front of us. You know? Well, the key to having it last so long is that we don't get paid. Well, that's true too. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That just means we always stay in budget. That's true. So far, Actually, we we've never gone above budget. The real key to to staying on so long is we have API. That's right. Sponsors <laughs> they, are everything. They have supported us. Every step of the way. And so, yeah, I mean, it's basically, I always thank them all the time, too. Good guys, good gear. Exactly. It's, I, you know, we were, I was so fortunate. I mean, it, really blessed is the right word because it's like being a car show sponsored by Ferrari, you know? I mean, it's just like, you don't even really have to say anything. It's just like, yeah, we're sponsored by API. It's like, okay. <laughs> makes me proud. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anyhow, joining us today, we are honored to have. Um, with us, Mr. Ethan Friedrichs. Hello, how you doing? Good now, to be here. Welcome. Ethan um, Ethan is a sound designer, recording engineer, mixer. He has uh, a lot of um, interactive stuff, a lot of video games, um, some great titles. If you've played anything like, oh, I don't know, Epic Mickey mm-hmm. 1 and 2, yep. um, you will hear his work. And um, it's good to have you with us. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. We're going to be talking a little bit about um, about what Ethan does a little bit later. And um, we're going to be starting a series. Um, and we're going to try to get some guests in the next couple shows. I have a couple lined up. Whether they show up, that's a whole, that's a whole other thing. But now that they're lined up. You need to just tell them that we're sponsored by API. Right? <laughs> there you go. But we're going to talk about mixing. And we've talked about mixing before. But, you know, nowadays um, – I was in the studio and I was mixing something and my monitors, my actual screens went out, right? Still still heard all the audio, but I couldn't see anything. 
And a total flashback to when I was like working in the studio years ago and the only thing you were doing was looking straight ahead, maybe checking your, your VUs and the phase scope or – but really it was so – you know, you were really in the moment and you were really listening. And nowadays we look at waveforms and we look at you know video and we look at plugins and automation. So we're going to talk about that and uh, how it's changed. Change for the good, change for the worst, techniques, things like that. So we're going to kind of dig into it, but I really want to concentrate on the on the mixing process because let's face it, that's where it's made. <laughs> you know, they don't say fix it in the mix for nothing. So um, I want to start there. But before we do that, um, a couple things that I want to kind of go over uh, on this front part of the podcast. Number one, guys, I went on a shopping spree, and I tell you, software on the iPad is just getting better and better and better. And I just got the new uh, Zeta Plus um, soft synth, and that is—it's phenomenal what they're doing now. Okay, on the on on the iPad. But if you eliminate synthesizers, then what do you have to say? Okay, then you have mastering programs. I also picked up one of those. They have mastering what? Audio. How do you get the audio in and out? You can do uh, audio cut cut um, cut. Wait, audio, copy and paste. You can also do. Um, no, but I mean, how do you hear what you're doing while you're mastering? Oh, you, interface for me. I just use headphones and the, the output. But I mean, you can you could spend a gazillion dollars and get any of the uh, interfaces that are out there that'll work with it. Especially the Apogee stuff is sounds really good. I've worked with a couple of their interfaces. It sounds phenomenal. But I mean, the fact of the matter is, is you can get some of this the software for a song and it works really good. One of my favorites that I just picked up is this plugin called Stereo Designer. And it literally you can take any any um, stereo um, sound file and adjust everything from the panning to the EQ. You can pull out vocals. You can totally adjust the center. I mean it's really phenomenal. It was like five bucks, maybe ten bucks, you know? It's it's amazing. <laughs> it's, a, it's amazing that Scott hasn't had dinner yet. <laughs> um, no, but that, that, that was a corona skepticism. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it was. Uh, but it's it's just amazing uh, what you can do, and, and I tell you, you know, it's it's the revolution, and I and I, I always report on that because uh, it, it never ceases to amaze me. Every time I see a great app, and the only thing I'm waiting for is Audio Bus 2 that's going to be coming out. And when that comes out and does what it's supposed to be doing, it's, it's, it's over. Okay, how many of yeah. us on this table agree with that? Nobody! <laughs> well, you know, look, I think, you know, what's nice is I've got two full racks of outboard gear, but I have to admit there's something nice about automation where when I open a session, I do everything I need to do. I close it. I open it up later, and it's all there. Yeah. Or you open it up on another computer in another studio. Yeah, and it's I mean, all there. at no point, I think, where mixing is – we're talking about mixing, where it's gotten light years. Well, we're not talking about that yet, so oh, well, save your comments about mixing. <laughs> <laughs> if I were talking about mixing, which I'm not yet. <laughs> uh, uh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off at the past there, brother. But I think, it, I think it, it's – I'm wait. You know what I'm waiting for is the iPad, and everything to start networking together with mm-hmm. virtual buses, where it could work together and be able to be smart, where you could talk to multiple computers, not just in a normal networking, but basically just make it where everybody 
can extend the power of that unit wherever. It, you know what? It'll come. And I know – look, we, we have this perspective and I know we talk about this practically every week. But it's happening every single week. Something else is just blowing me away. But – you know, we work on the big stuff, but that next generation where they're where they're coming in on the iPads. I mean, it used to be where I would recommend, and I've said this a couple times. You know, a laptop, and you know, for the guy wanting to break in. But now you want to break in, just get an iPad because you probably already have one, and pick up any of the software but, that's uh, out there. The most thing, amazing thing I've seen on the iPad, just since we're talking about it, is Lima. I've had a couple composer friends that have set things up that has blown my mind. They've got five monitors out there, and if they want to go, oh, here's the strings, here's the cellos. And what they do is it totally programs everything that's there for the keyboard. So it's kind of like quick keys on acid, where all of a sudden they want to be able to, instead of using another key on a keyboard to do something in Vienna Orchestra or something, uh, now they can do it all in Lima. So I have a couple friends that actually are using two iPads, Next, you know, in addition to the keyboard, right. and they press it, and because they got all these synths right. and all these computers that are up with all the programs, so they want orchestration, they want the favorite programs, they want atmosphere. It's all there, and it all is controlled with Lemur. So I was going to say too that the iPad is a big thing in like electronic music for yep. live shows. Yeah. They're using it to sync. You know, there's like three guys on stage making beats live together. And yeah, no, it's yeah. It's, it's huge. It's taken yeah. over. And despite what anybody says at this table, um, the revolution is, is well, on its way. Well, yeah, okay. <laughs> now, now you, you, you know, I'm somewhat of a skeptic, not in the future, but in the present on, right. on this. Yeah. Uh, that being said, Personas has a little console called at the Studio Live, uh, which they have an, an iPad. Uh, program that comes with it that is brilliant that actually it makes the console easier to work on the iPad than on the actual console because yeah. it's totally digital so I, I gotta say that part is brilliant and they also have uh, iPhone capabilities so everybody can change their monitor mixes from their iPhone which is oh, yeah. brilliant as well so yeah in terms of, of that kind of integration that's beautiful and if it extended as we're all, all saying if there was something universal that that could extend to every where else that would be brilliant it already is happening in ios 7 actually there's already um software capabilities in there for uh casual peer-to-peer networking isn't that right Mm -hmm. so i mean that stuff they know that that that's coming we want to all have ipads and have them close to each other if we can use them as communication devices while we're playing a game together that's great if we want to use them as music making devices where they can all link together and we can you know each be creating music on it to some degree that could be really interesting i'm not familiar with that term casual peer-to-peer what, what does that mean exactly <clears throat> it's it means that if you have a couple of iOS devices and they are physically within each other's uh, vicinity yep. and they're where and they're running iOS 7 they will recognize each other and they'll be able to communicate so you can play games automatically mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. it's yeah. And, and it and it happens the reason why it's casual because it's not a permanent thing it's a bunch of people getting together networking and then going and a good example is for instance let's say hey let's let's all jam together on our iPads believe it or not people get together and they all want to jam together it'll send sync to, everybody will be in sync and, they're all via Wi-Fi or is this RFID? Or I thought what? it was Bluetooth. It's Bluetooth. 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 Yeah. Okay. It's all. It's it's all of that works on Bluetooth. Yeah. I mean, it used to work on on Wi-Fi. Everybody had to be in the same Wi-Fi network, but now a lot of it's done on Bluetooth, and it's pretty good. I mean, it picks up everything, and, and it's 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 pretty awesome. And one that, thing one of the things I really loved is I have a seven eighty eight, a location recorder. Yeah. 
And what I do is I have a little wrist strap to my iTouch and all my metering and my record. And if I want to type in, because, you know, the 788 was built in a different day and you got to, mm-hmm. you know, toggle and, you oh, know, yeah, 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 you toggle through each letter and it takes forever. Yeah. And now I just put it on my wrist. I feel like, you know, Space Ghost, you know, <laughs> and I'm just going on my wrist and I type what I want, hit record, hold the mic and the recorder could be where and, and I think the one thing and and. After this, I promise we will not <laughs> we will not pound this into the to the ground. Oh, sure we will. Until next episode, because <laughs> Rob is giving me the stink eye. That's why I'm not looking at him. <laughs> but but um, no. But what we can't you know overlook is the fact that all of these products and all of the software is cheap. It's you know twenty bucks is considered expensive, and the developers are making money and. The people out there are not spending a lot of money, and everybody is kind of is kind of happy. And it you don't get a lot of pirating, and you get a nice little economy going. And it really, man, I remember having to save up for a computer that was about as much cost about as much as my iPad Mini here. But then you have to get the software programs, and they were hundreds of dollars. And I remember when you talked about software as hundreds of dollars, that was like cheap. you know. I mean, like everybody around here, if I say some software came out, it was an EQ, really great EQ. How much is it? $249. we would all be going, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good deal. That's a, that's a good, you know, that's a bargain. It's like, you know, you talk about that kind of stuff on the iPad, how much is it? It's 20 bucks. Ooh, $20. Okay. All right, but it's worth it, you know. So that that's a big deal for for the next generation of people coming out. Rob, what say you? Yeah, I haven't gotten to say a word yet. <laughs> I would say it's going to be a while before the iPad is the core of a real studio. It's a great accessory. It won't be the core until because if you think about it now, for it to sound good, you got to pop a piece of hardware yeah. on it that's a big expensive thing that needs power. Right. And so all of a sudden you're not portable anymore. And a lot of people, myself included, would hate to have a studio based on a screen that size. I right. mean, they have to come out with a way to have a giant 27-inch screen which, or several which of them. It's a Thunderbolt port. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, to be able to do multiple 27-inch displays and real audio interface, at that point, it can become the core the same way a Mac Pro was the core for a long time. Also, at some point, there's going to have to be a migration in software prices because if if – like Apple is trying to still uh, with the new trash can with the new Mac Pro, they're trying to you know regain some supremacy for those kinds of mega powerful machines that are way more powerful than an iPad. Um, and for that to work, the software pricing is going to have to somehow meet some kind of parity. I mean, maybe it can be a little bit more, but you can't have where an equivalent processor on an iPad is twenty bucks and five hundred on a computer. And if, if you look at most iP- companies making apps for iPads go out of business. There's no longevity because there's no money. And they can't make enough money doing it. So a lot of them, it's kind of churn and burn. Uh, you you know, use it for a while and then it's, uh, uh, you know. I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. If I any, beg to differ on that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I know a lot too. of people that are doing pretty well. Pretty darn yeah. well. And not only that, but the, but the staple, the ones that are going to be like the, um, the Arias and the, the big boys that are the, the Dawes and things like that, they're doing good. And you know what? Sean, they're having booths over at the NAMM show, and that's not a cheap thing to do. It's about for iPad. Oh, app, yeah, but I don't think that's any indication companies. of how well you're doing. No, it. but it's definitely if you keep seeing them year after year, you know they're doing well enough to do a, to do a booth at the, at the NAMM show. Or they have I mean, deep you, pockets. I mean, if you look at the video game side for just, I know we're going this way, but for the mobile technologies, you know, you look at your Angry Birds and Plants vs. Zombies, and they did, like, they did crazy money. 
But a lot of the companies did uh, not so well. I mean, because again, you know, you're going to sell a ton of them, but there's not that much, and Apple takes a good chunk of it. Yeah, and- yeah but I, I still think one of the good things about about um, iOS and just the 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 musical community is you just don't buy one software; you buy a bunch of software. The guys that are into it are buying each and everything. I, I mean, I buy a ton <clears> of software, and I just I don't necessarily use it all. I have it, and I use some of it a lot. I use it's some the roll away. It's only ninety nine cents. Yeah. Well, wait a second. You, yeah. you guys, I think, are uniquely well. Everybody except me, maybe, is uniquely, <laughs> uniquely qualified to, to speak to this, where you're users of utility software, but on the other hand, you work on software that's game-oriented. And, and I think that there's two different worlds there, because with games, it's so consumer-oriented that you can make a lot of dough, yeah. and, and, and you can survive a long time with the, the pockets that, that are filled if with you, it. If you're, if you're disciplined in what you're doing, here's the thing about software development for the iPad, and I know this isn't what we were sort of supposed to talk about tonight, but uh, there are a tremendous number of really great tools out there. Xcode, which is Apple's you know, development development platform for you know Mac as well as iPad iOS everything it's fantastic and there is more information there to allow you to develop an app easily than you could ever need there are apps like unity um uh, cocos 2d corona there are all sorts of development languages and development environments that, environments that are out there that are free and the only thing that costs is when you actually start making money on your app there's you know sometimes ostensibly there's some small licensing fee yeah. when you actually put the app into the app store but, but, uh, you don't have to put any money out there to be able to get the thing out into the market Place. You only have to start paying Apple their thirty percent based on you know the revenue Sales. that starts coming in. Well, but you still have to pay your developers. I mean, yeah, still if you money. are the de- but you if you are the developer, if you're right. a little three person mom and pop shop, you have you know virtually sure. no and expenses. So, and some of those tools like Unity, Unity has some great tools for developing. I mean, you, it is so painless to create in Unity. I'll, you, you, well, you kind of have a. If you can think that way, because that's more or less what I tell people, is if you have the uh, propensity to think as a programmer and kind of are, are logical in that way, it's relatively easy to, to make a, an app using a, a tool like Unity. And you don't have to pay until you, until you publish. So. Have, have you tried that? Mm-hmm. No. no. I mean, you're a pro- programmer. I mean, that, if anybody would know. No, I mean, I've done a lot of Xcode stuff uh, for iOS, um, but... I've never played with Unity. That's because Rob's an evil genius. All right, let's just face it. <laughs> just right. only evil. Okay, well, hey, listen. <laughs> we, we talked way too long on that. Anyhow, it's fascinating. We always do. I know because <laughs> every single freaking time. I, I, hey, what about hey, hey, You know what? Mike, what about mixing? <laughs> We're going to talk about that. But I know we always talk about that, but it's happening every like So you I, stop I, me I from always, talking about mixing. I always go I always uh, I don't plan on doing it. I just want to talk about the latest thing that that has really sparked my attention, you know, to get it going. And I can't help it if, if there's some rad development happening on the iPad and happening on all the slates and all that. You know what but, I'd like to know? And I, there's probably no way to know this, but, like, figure out who the most successful uh, producers and musicians of all genres are right now and figure out how endemic the iPad is to their setups and to these productions. <laughs> like, the stuff you're hearing on the radio – what percentage? I'm sure there's a lot of sound sources being used as iPads. I'm sure there's very little being sure. mixed on iPads. No, you're right. But I'm, I'm, I'd I'm be curious that. because I'm sure year after year it's growing and growing and growing. Um, but I'd be curious to hear. Well, I, well, I will say the one thing is. 
that is becoming a big little business for little mix studios. A big little business? A big little business. A little In other business. words, just a business. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> it's, um, a little business that could. A big business that could be done by a small little company. Mm-hmm. And that is remastering for iPad, and especially whether it's TV, films, uh, music, to make it sound better. And there's little companies that are start or little divisions of big companies starting to say, hey, let us master for headphones. Let us master for iPads because it's and, and let's optimize it. And there's companies that have content creators going, all right, here's the spec. Here's where we want it to be. And then, and there's a business that people are saying because I know we're starting to have to deal with it. But, you know, along those lines, um, when you master for your iPads and your iPhones, you don't have to do nearly as much as you think you have to do. You know, because the the speakers and on on these the audio technology just keeps getting better and better and less and, for music but more for TV. Right, but I'm because I you're just doing did, a five point one mix and now you got no to do no a no that's true source. that's true your fold downs but yes. but I do a couple series that 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 I have to fold down and gets it's actually big on and you've got to compress iPad. it really hard to make sure it works. But it you sounds know. well, yeah. It sounds but better, but, but you it know. sounds really well, good. Well, well, we okay. don't do. I don't do any. Because now we're talking about mixing. Wait, yeah, I don't do on. any post processing for the iPad or the iPhone, and I know all all the stuff that I do do actually ends up a lot of people watching on there, and I always check it on that, and it sounds pretty good. It can so handle it. I master dialogue all the time for iPad, and it's it's not a whole lot different than no. But you want your compression ratios might be a little well, bit higher. Well, okay, that, well, that's really. what, that's what really, I want to hear. No. We don't really hit it hard. No, no and as a matter of fact, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but on that when I do. Stuff for the iPad, I actually have way more flexibility as to how loud I can get stuff. I get yep. stuff kicked back if it's too low, and that never happens in broadcast. Broadcast, it's always you're too hot, you're too hot, especially with the call. Especially now, yeah. Right. right. But when I do stuff for uh, digital publishing, when I do stuff for interactive, my stuff is, is screaming because. What's your, what's your reference level? Are you doing like minus 16 LUFS, or what are well, you. I'm at minus 20, but mm-hmm. I clamp all my stuff. At, I go as hot as minus four because the only complaints I ever get, especially on dialogue. When the minus four peak are you talking about? Yeah, yeah I, I clamp yeah. everything up at minus four. The only complaints I ever get is it's not loud enough because they'll listen to music, they'll listen to games, and then they listen to their book. And your book better be as loud as that music or those games. And so I just – I have a preset where I have my L3 and I just – everything that – after I do all the editing, I just process it, you know, minus four across the top and poof, everything comes up. Scott, before – when you said that you <laughs> I, 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 I hate preset limiters and squishes it because – there's an artistry to the mix and anything you Yeah, well this is I just, mean that's what you, yeah. you know what this is all straight dialogue. Right, right. And, but I'm talking about really complex mixes. No, absolutely. And I, I get dynamics. You. I wanna remix it because I'm trying to do something cool here and not just do the old broadcasting, take it in, smash the crap out of it. It gets broadcasted and it's fine and no dynamic range and it's. You but know. you can, you know what? You can keep your dynamic range though on movies and things like that because you plug in headphones. You can plug in something. Yeah, where but you don't have to worry about that, especially with movies because the dialogue of movies. Poof, when you yeah, but the dynamic dialogue, range is way too much for headphones. Right, but what so I'm take saying, a movie mix and put it on a, on headphones, you kill somebody. No, but what I'm saying is when you go to an iOS device, I mean, when you go to an iPad, right? You can have a. There's a ton of head. There's more headroom than you think there is. No, there's, no, no. It's it's not a headroom issue. It's a, a proximity. Well. It, it depends also, you're talking about lossless Kodak. What about people that aren't doing lossless, 
but that are doing much more compression going on, number one. Number two, because a lot of people are still, you know, playing, you know, streaming stuff at a much more condensed route. That's um, true. The other part is also just trying to make the mixes. Again, it's not drastically different. It depends. You know, there's two ways to mix. You can mix TV safe, which I'm not a big fan of because it's boring. Where everything's di- dialogue's in the center, music's really low, sound effects fully barely plays, and all of a sudden it plays safe. It translates to every format you'd ever want, and it's great. It's the law but, too. <laughs> right. But you know yeah. what though? But you know what? Yes, ABC. You know, or the a lot of the old style broadcast mixing was done that way. But if you look at, I mean, I'm just looking at TV now. You look at stuff that's going on Showtime and HBO. There's some really creative stuff, which is maybe not quite as, as dynamic as movies, but way more than like common TV. Right. And there's great stuff happening in the surrounds. We're now getting a chance to not just be dialogue with a little bit of emotion and music, but actually doing something creative um, on, on many, many shows that I watch. And, and I think that there's something there that could be done. No, uh, okay. I, I will give you that. Bobby, did you want to say something? Because I cut you off like 19 times. <laughs> well, uh, Scott, before you said you have to clamp down on the mix a lot. You have to compress the, the mix harder. And I want to know what that means. You said, I forget what your, what well, your adjective it, was. It, it was heavier you, if, or something. If you're doing an action film and you just throw an L2 in there and you just basically say nothing's going to go over this amount. It changes so much of the uh, the aspects of the mix, right? Other than peak, right? So all of a sudden, um, I'm just not a big fan of, of just putting a plug in and compressing it, you know, smashing it. Yeah. Um, so there's ways of being able to just maybe bring the volume down without having to just do a hard limit. You know, how does it play between music and dialogue? Um, because also we're used to having a center speaker. So now, all of a sudden, you have three speakers. Now it goes to two, which has been done for ages, uh, doing a stereo fold down. But again, even with a stereo fold down, when we do films, I'm remixing to make it sound better because sometimes the dialogue is squished. But, sometimes but, the music reacts differently when you take a five-one music mix and you bang it to stereo. But but that's only if you've got the budget. I mean, let's face it, a lot of production now is is totally budget and like it, it depends I know a lot of st- I work on a lot of stuff and they just they will not pay for that that time and so what I end up doing is I ended up you know having to fold down you know but I spend most of my time on the fun one which is the five one mix you know and then the fold down if it's if it's close if it if it's approximately you know when I lay back I actually listen to the the um, the stereo mix. So I'll mix, I'll do the playback on the 5.1 and then I'll actually do the layback with the stereo. So each mix gets listened to um, all the way through separately. But they just don't have the budget for that kind of At stuff. At the moment, but I think like even by order admission, the way people are viewing uh, streamed uh, 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 content is different than the way, you know, we used to be from your TV, which sucked. Then got home theaters and we went five ones and, and they became pretty popular homes. Well, now people are listening like my son. He listens headphones on an iPad. and that, So now all of a sudden, that starts becoming important. So uh, iPad and mixing for iPad, that's, that's going to get more and more important. And uh, we're going to have to do a show on that because, uh, Nick, you're, you're bringing up some good points about, uh, about mastering and mixing. And, and there's all kinds of different ways, you know, digital publishing, gaming. You know, um, I just did 14 spots. <laughs> For a studio, 
and they're only going to play on mobile phones and iOS devices. You know, and so uh, we'll have to we'll have to dig into that a little bit when we talk more about mixing, if not this show, but on another show. But really quick, I want to bring up another piece of technology that came out since the last time, and that's um, the new Roland stuff. Anybody do any reading on that? No. There's new stuff after Nam that they came out with. Yes, the the Roland mm-hmm. the Roland Era stuff. It was a it's basically a new 909, a new uh, keyboard, the whole shebang. All right, you know what? We're gonna have to we're gonna have to table that because uh, I'll wait till you guys do some read up and, and that. Because we were talking about Roland last time and how they didn't have a great show, and now they're bringing out some stuff that's kind of cool. It sounds like you know you see a lot of stuff about it, especially in the drum machine, and it kind of you know they're comparing it to the old nine hundred nine. It sounds just as good, and I'm like, you know, why can't they do something? That and even better, you know, why is it, you know, their big thing is looking back at what they did. I mean, I, I just expect so much more. In some ways, it was a letdown. There's some really cool things about it, but it was a big letdown. And uh, we'll talk about that later. I'll tell you what, let's take a break now because we're all revved up to talk about mixing. And when we come back, we're going to dig into mixing. And uh, I promise, no, no, I can't make that promise. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we'll see you on the other side. You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Westwave Audio. Have a question for the panel? Would you like to be a guest on the Audio Nowcast and live in the L.A. area? Email us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back to the Audio Nowcast. And uh, before the break, we were talking about all kinds of stuff. We had a few little technical errors, dropouts, things like that. <laughs> but we're back on track. And we're going to talk about mixing. And, um, and I, I, when I was starting to put together the show and other shows, I was really thinking about how um, mixing has changed. And, and it's the kind of change that has been really subtle, yet very drastic, you know, Maybe it was you got your first digital recorder or maybe you got your first DAW and you're no longer looking at the board. You're no longer working behind a board and you're no longer you know, even having to touch faders. And yet at the same time, all these techniques that you start to develop, they're not like the old days. You, know? you have automation to work with. You can start automating things that you never could automate before. You know? Automating threshold of compressors – on a per cylinder, I mean cylinder, per syllable basis. I mean, stuff like that that's just kind of crazy. And on this first show, I just kind of wanted to, to bring it out to everybody and, and just have some reflections on, on mixing and, and some of the changes. And, and I'm going to start with you, Bobby. Um, if you look at, at mixing today and you look at mixing back then, you think it's, it's, is it better? Is it a better experience nowadays? Or is there any way that you kind of miss the good old days of not having all that visual, you know, all that visual information coming at you where you could really listen, where you could really hear and, uh, and concentrate on, on the sound? Uh, I don't think you can make a qualitative judgment what's better and what's worse. It's different. It was more organic. 
way back when. Now it's more precise because we can automate so much and everyone expects it to be that way because we can. But, you know, way back when, when you, you had four people with both their hands on faders, uh, it was more organic and you had something that felt better, generally speaking. So th- those are the differences I see. There's trade-offs from both, but, I, you know, we're, we're in the n- neighborhood where every, you can automate everything, you will automate everything, right. everyone expects it. Get used to it. Is it? No, that's true. But I, there's some part of me when I was working without my monitor. You're talking was, about visual, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I'm just talking about listening. It's like when you lose one sentence, one sense, you gain others. Uh, uh, well, okay. It, funny you should mention because tomorrow on my blog, my big picture blog, there's actually well, right now at nine thirty, it's going on. Uh, it's going up. It's all about. A new study that was done by John Hopkins University and the University of Maryland about how uh, verifying what we all kind of knew. And and one of the things I always put in my book is if you want to make your hearing more acute, close your eyes while you're mixing. And you can hear details that you couldn't hear before. Or before you begin to mix, go into a dark room, a dark, quiet room. And it, it calibrates your hearing, so to speak. And there was actually this study done by Johns Hopkins and, and University of Maryland that verified that, where they, f- they found that they could rewire the brains of rats to make them temporarily blind, and they found that their hearing would consequently um, uh, become more acute. Hmm. I mean, we, we always... We knew that anyway, empirically, but you know they confirmed that, and, wow. and there was a lot of other things that involved in that. But basically, what it was was, yeah, by having less visual information, our ear- hearing becomes more acute. It's amazing that you say that because um, I went to a friend's studio, and they have three ginormous sixty-inch screens on the back wall that they have all their their synths on, and they have their Pro Tools on, and then they have. Um, Let's see. One was one was for all their soft sense. One was for their Pro Tools, and I think this one was either lyrics or something like that. But huge. I mean, it was just a giant video wall, and, and that's a lot of like visual overload. And and not to make a judgment because they do fantastic music on on their stuff, but that's just a lot of stuff coming at you. That I don't know. I I, I just think I think we're losing the ability, and there's there's engineers that are coming up that, believe it or not, don't know how to hear, right? I mean, don't know. They mix with their eyes rather than their ears. Exactly. Yes, and right. they, they wouldn't know, like, for instance, and I'm totally guilty of this, but I'll look at uh, my, my waveforms as they're coming down, right? And I can see the plosives, and I can see where that's going to give me a problem, that's going to give me a problem, that's going to be a problem. Look, that's going to, you know, that's going to peak out there. And, and so I'll take care of that stuff. You know, I'm mixing before the playhead actually gets there. So I'm mixing kind of in real time. And am I listening to what I'm doing? Yes, but I'm also concentrating a little bit ahead of time. But that's so, your experience that's talking right, to. But there's, it's, there's something about not being in that moment though. It's like, I don't know, it's a house divided. And, and some of these younger guys, I wonder if, if even myself, if I've lost the ability of like, okay, here, I'm going to play this for you. Um, you know what's wrong with her? What can you do? I, I don't know. I just there's something about not being able to think. <laughs> I I don't know if I'm making myself clear, but not being able to think like a mixer, not being able to live in that moment without having all those tools. I don't know if I could sit down and mix a show 
without having all the visual feedback that I have. I'll bet you that if you sat down and had to do it for three days, you would be right back to it again. I'll bet. And you would say, wow, this was fun. I forgot. (laughs) I mean, this is – and the thing is, is it's like not only are you relying on the screen, but less and less you're relying on faders. I mean, I can do a ton of this stuff with with my mouse now and I can do – it's just – Mixing is kind of devolved and and evolved kind of all at the same time. And I just wanted to get, you know, your feedback on on that. Ethan, you're the new guy around here. Let's talk about mixing and and what you're hearing. Uh, Well, I was just going to say being of the – one of those younger people, I'm certainly younger than you guys, not to out any ages here. But um, (laughs) (laughs) I, I don't know any different. From you know, mixing for me has always been in Pro Tools on a computer with right. all that visual feedback. So um, I think for me, I've sort of you know I've learned to do both. Where you know you have to use your ears, but also being able to get the you know visual feedback from you know you're EQing something and you're looking at the RTA and finding your frequency that you want um, by looking at an RTA, and then sort of you kind of have to do a hybrid of the two where you're you're using your eyes to to watch what you're doing and then you're you you know you have to sort of sit back so it's sort of like a balancing act between the two and you know maybe maybe you're more i don't know like i said i don't know any different you know what but you bring up a great point because when you're looking at you know like your rtas and things like that you have so much information now in some ways it takes um for instance monitors aren't necessarily the biggest deal that they used to be. I mean, back in the day, you go to some of those big studios and they'd have their monitors and that's what they had. That was their reference and that's how they knew if it was the mix was there or not. It's how it sounded, how it reacted. And the, monitor and, speakers. You exactly, yeah. monitor speakers, right? I mean, monitors were crucial and they're still kind of crucial, but let's face it. You know, I know I could probably mix on anything that that they throw at me. You know, if I had JBLs, I could mix. If I had Genelux, I could mix. Ethan, yeah. Do you always mix with an RTA? Um, I mean, most plugins have it. (laughs) Have you know at least a visual? Is that crucial to you to what you're doing? I don't think it's crucial. Um, It's certainly a tool that I like to use, but it's definitely not. You know, I'm not crippled with. What are you looking for? Um. Explain what a RTA is, by the way, just so that it's people a, are listening. A real-time analyzer, um, you know, uh, the little squiggly lines when you right. look at an EQ. or Just shows the frequencies of what's happening mm-hmm. at that moment. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that it's critical, but it's definitely something that um, I've gotten used to using and I've gotten used to. What, what are you looking for? Um, well, you can you know you can see frequencies that you think aren't that you don't want there, and you can cut those frequencies. And um, yeah, like I said, it, it's um, you're looking for for something for frequencies that are out of yeah. balance. Then, in other yeah. Words. yeah, you look for the mush, yeah. man. I look for like things yeah. that are that are overloaded. Like whoa, right. we're hitting 500 really hard here. You know, right. yeah, you yeah. See that big, you know, and it's like, and then you're like. You're getting killed over here at 4K. It's like, wow, what's sending this up to the moon? Things like that. Especially, yeah. now, especially are you looking at one octave or third octave? I look at whatever the squiggly line. Yeah. Is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but yeah, I mean, information like that, especially you know, well, with TV broadcasts, because we're forced to be 
we have such strict control over what our levels can be. It's like you're looking for every little edge to, to figure out where. But those, are but those analyzers, get, they get you a starting point. Right. And, yeah. I mean, you can't. Well, how about spectrographs? Anybody use a spectrograph? Sure. A little bit. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Our spectrograph shows you more frequency based, which is kind of nice. It shows you where. Yeah, frequency over time, yeah. 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 And it shows you where. Um, where your problems are, like you can yeah. see, like funny little tones and funny little, like, oh, where's that coming from? You look over there. Oh, there it is. And then you know, if you got stuff like uh, isotope, and you can, uh, you know, see that stuff, and you can isolate it. And, you mean like RX three? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's sort of gotten. I you know, like I said, I don't know any different, but I feel like it's gotten more scientific rather than artistic in a way because you're looking at frequencies you're looking at you know you're looking at your rta you're looking at like oh here's a problem that i think might be you know might be a problem and i'm going to cut that and oh maybe that's not the right thing but it sort of gives you more of but a doesn't balance. it have to be though for you to be on under budget and and on time i mean you know there's that trade-off that you have to be scientific in order to but, pull things off to, at, at a. But you know what it does? It gets a there's a you know that's a great point because one of the things that I that I haven't been able to to put in words, but I'm, it saps a lot of personality from the mix because everybody is kind of doing this clinical thing and kind of getting like you think the mix is great when there's no phase problems and everything's hitting, whereas before. That was the norm. That's where you start and then you kind of like do things and that's why, you know, listen to – look, I was listening to ELO, right? ELO, just the mixes are phenomenal. I mean it's just – but it sounds so different than like Doobie Brothers and then like Led Zeppelin and then like – I mean there's all this personality and I don't know if, if in pop music and – and electronic music too, if you have quite those those swings, you have different composers and you've got different types of music, but it kind of sounds like a little little perfect and sterile. I mean, don't yeah, you think? I absolutely. Mean, yeah, what, what's perfect and sterile? The mixes. Mixes. The mixes for what, for what? For whatever pop music is out pop there. Pop music you're talking about yeah. now is compared to the way it used to be. Yeah, that's okay. right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at least that's what it, it seems like. And because I think everybody's trying to, you know, get to this point and they think, okay, this is now a good mix and let's let's push it out and that but man, back in you know, you listen to some of those early recordings, it was it's all over the place. Well we've know? talked about it before in other parts of the industry that the playing field is now leveled. Like anybody can make an album, uh, anybody can get their song out to the public. It doesn't mean everybody should or anybody's good at it. And the right. same's true with mixing. I mean you can basically run everything through a the equivalent of a Cuisinart full of plugins you know, and everything will be at the right level and, and, you know, unoffensive and legal and everything else. But it doesn't mean it's at all artistic. I mean, the tools in the hands of someone with great ears is always going to, it's always going to be better than the tools in the hand of someone who doesn't know what they're doing. Absolutely. Even though the output level may be the same for both of them. Yeah. You know, so the talent aspect of it has, has dried up like it has for, a lot of other aspects. And even like cool little techniques and things that, that you do nowadays. It's it's a lot easier to do it, but you know people have done it before. And I'll give you a good example. I was mixing something for Martin, and I uh, was mixing uh, one of his pieces. Martin Page, yeah, Martin Page, and uh, and I put in this really cool echo effect, right? Where because there was there was some space in the song, and it's like oh, I'm, I'm going to have him, you know, kind of echo, you know, what he just sang, and it was really cool, and it sounds really good, 
But there's, I mean, it's the same sound that you've heard a gazillion times, you know? I mean, it's just, it, it's like, you're like, I don't know. It, it's just, it, it just, everything kind of sounds, it yeah, was good. But, just, but, but wait, you know, I mean, a lot of what you're talking about really is an example of what you're talking about before when we weren't recording. And that's what your clients are asking for. So if the clients, whoever they are, being a record company or a studio or whomever, a game company, if they're asking for you know this, you have to give them that. And if they want something that's, that's homogenized and like everything else, yeah. you're bound to do it. I mean, you have to if you want to keep the client, right? So, and, and let's face it, all clients are doing the same thing. They're running after one another. That client does this, so... Or there's this hit record, well, we want to sound like that, so okay, let's try this so we can be more like it. And it, it's this never-ending circle that happens. But, yeah, I, you know, one thing I'll say with Mexican, because I, I got a different thought. You know, for me, it's like cutting a diamond. You know, you could cut a diamond and always be reflective. But if you do it just right and you balance the reflections just right, it glitters and shines. And I think that a lot of times when I'm mixing, I'm, you know, the moment you take a frequency out, you're unmasking another frequency. And a lot of times there's so many sounds, especially I know in post-production, where some of these mixes can get very dense. Um, it's really hard to have everybody speak at once. And the whole point of mixing complex mixes is to be able to figure out in any given moment what's taking front and center, whether it be not only in volume but in frequency. So a lot of times you don't want the energy. So when i am got big sound effects and big music hitting all at once and guys yelling in crowds and rain and all sorts of stuff, you got to figure out how you're going to do that. And really sculpting and shaping, for me, I'm a speaker freak. I can't work on any speaker. i got to know the speaker I'm on because every speaker here different things and it makes me go diff down different rabbit holes based on the speaker I'm listening to. And you, you generally understand how it's translating. But, you know, you got to choose whether you're using EQs or multi-band compressors, how you're going to use them. What's, you your, what's your speaker of choice, just so I know? Like, you know, I, I, I've, been, I've, I've used a couple. Um, that's, and that's how I kind of do my thing. Um, I use LSR32s with a Bryston amp right. that I like. And, you know, it's the JBLs. They're not great sounding speakers in the world of speakers, but a lot of things sound like them. And <coughs> at that point, yeah, they translate pretty well. I also like Dyne Audio. Um, Dyne's, I hear lots of, of imaging and air and, and things, but I can make it sound great on Dyne's and it won't sound good on the JBLs. But if I can make it sound good on the JBLs and the Dyne's, uh, and also sometimes I use small little speakers, the little Jennies are pretty nice. Um, I, you know... Different speakers I get used to. And Have you heard the new good. JBLs that they just came out with? Yes. Um, the, uh, I've just got a pair that I'm evaluating right now. Um, you know it's also a decent one? What, what uh, do you think so far? Uh, the low end's a little shy. Uh, the high end's got great imaging. I mean, I like the M2s, mm -hmm. the big boys. Yeah. Um, the little ones are actually they're pretty nice uh, for small speakers. You know which other ones that we've compared them against is the Personas, not the... Not the, the coaxial the, ones. The, uh, oh, the Aries. The, yes. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the two-way. Two yeah, the Aries. Yes. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're, they're a good little speaker. They're, they're a good the little bigger speaker. ones. The, the, yeah, not yeah. the small one, the big one. Yeah. And, and, they, and they've got some... Uh, and even the small one's pretty good because they got nice 
little body for if you want something small to get to, to see what you're not going to get on the bigger speakers. Um, but usually, I mean, my theater system is pretty, um, uh, pretty diverse because I'm using uh, five different subs. Some are LFE extensions. Right. And some are LFE dedicated. Five different subs. Well, yes. w- wow. Okay. okay so, okay. Uh, we need more information is, on this. Uh, the quick case in, uh, I got an LCR uh, base extension. Okay. And then I got two dedicated LFE subs. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's and that's kind of how, and not, you know, some is at 85 to be straight, and the other one's 60 to be up at 91, and an 85 to be room. Hmm. Interesting. So at that point, you know, and I'm also got room tuners, I got Dolby coming out, tuning it. And, and, and yes? No, no. I'll, I'll no, I say at, at this point, I'm starting to design an Atmos room that my room's. Wow. So I'm, I'm going to have an editorial slash mix Atmos room but, in my new room. But, you know, I, I understand what you're saying, but even within movies, right? You can't. You, I, I wouldn't know one movie mixer from another movie mixer. I mean, I'm oh, sure, sure you, you would. would. But I, yeah. I, I wouldn't, I was going to say, I'm sure you would because, you know, I know there are guys that are really great on dialogue, guys that are really good at action. You know, I mean, I know they have their specialties, but I don't know if anything necessarily would, would jump out as being so, so different. You know what it is? And, and it's the difference. Here's the thing, and, I, and this is where I totally disagree because it's like watching a TV. Not halfway disagree. Like, you know, totally totally disagree. disagree. And here's the reason why. When you walk with a TV and you go to Best Buy, you could look at a standard def and go, it's fine. And then you look at HD and it looks better. To me, the difference when you hear mixes is different in standard def and high def. When you hear a great mix and you hear all this detail coming out right. and all the nuances and you're like, how did they do that? No, I, I, I'm with you. And the but, choices But that it's they not made. like one guy is doing that. I mean there's a lot of really great mixers out there that will – that will give it that sheen. I'll tell you one thing. And, and they're and, getting really great pre-dubs right. and all of that kind of thing. They're right. getting awesome content on the they're way getting, in. Exactly. To to- I'll tell you one thing that I think's kind of killed mixing, kind of killed the personality of mixing. If we go back years ago, I think the bus compressor started this 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 little decline on sapping personality from uh, from mixes. Because, well, if it's used hard, yeah, it's, used it's hard. a crutch, right? Yeah. I, I will say I. I've been waiting to speak. Yes. And so now <laughs> I finally found a, an on-ramp. Um, so I have to disagree with what you said earlier about the speaker thing, just like Scott disagreed. I would actually – I will totally disagree to use Scott's phrase because <laughs> I would honestly say there is nothing more important than knowing your speakers. If you're, if you're creating content that's going to reach the public – Right. I mean it's one thing if you're giving somebody else elements. Right. Do it on whatever because they're going to be working on speakers they know, hopefully, to get it out to the world. But, I mean, it's it's not using speakers, you know, is like borrowing someone else's prescription you know, glasses to read something. I, I it just told, doesn't make any no, sense. I, I, I like no, no, I it's agree. True, I totally agree that. I, so I'm you disagree saying, with yourself as well? No, no, no. What so I'm we're saying, all in agreement. <laughs> no. It's unanimous. What I'm saying is this. I'm saying that, right, I mean – I know what speakers I like to mix on. I'm, I'm Genelec. I'm all Genelec. I know what Genelec sounds like. I know how to mix on Genelec, right? But if I had to mix on a JBL, if I had to mix and, – and at home I mix on, on Adams because I have Adams at my home studio. Mm-hmm. Um, I know how to mix on that. Boy, is that I've, a difference. I've, I know. But, but, but the fact of the matter is, is you have enough tools that you can – you yeah, but, the, but the key on. there is that you know both of those sets of speakers. If someone were to plop some new speakers that you've never used before, 
you would be wise not to mix something for the public on them immediately because you have no idea what they sound like. You got to know well, your speakers, even if they're yeah, cheap. You know what? Having right. been caught yeah. done that, I can't. Doing no, that, no, I can tell I, you're you. right. It doesn't usually end well. No, no, I, I've had, I've been. You're in allowed situation. to just agree. <laughs> you're allowed to agree. Let <laughs> I, it go. <laughs> what do you guys use for speakers? Uh, I use Dynes, Dyn Audio. Okay. Um, or B and Ws depending on the studio. B and Ws yeah. too. Yeah, wow, those are great. Yeah. At uh, at work we have Dyne BM six A Mark twos, and yeah. at home I use Genelec ten thirty one A's. Okay. I, I at home I have a set of KRK Rocket fives, which <laughs> yeah, not good, not good for uh, mixing. Go <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> oh, well, what's that? Mike is looking for on here. here. <laughs> no, I, I do not want to. I'm not downplaying how important monitors are. There are. I'm just upplaying tools that are available. Should you be in that no, situation? You, you're just saying that. In fact, the the way modern mixing is, and it's so visual that that some people can forego the importance of their monitors and still get the job done to a certain degree. Right. Yeah, I mean, okay. you got guys mixing on headphones out there without monitors, and they just know how to do it. So I'd tools. say you're right. Other than being the most important thing, <laughs> it's not that important. <laughs> Rob, you know what, Rob? I'm not going to try to spar with you because you will win. No, <laughs> no I'm giving up. But, it's all you. But let me. But let me. I'm going home to my gen leg, <laughs> and I know what they sound like. <laughs> all, all this to say is is. Mixing, it's a different beast. And there's a lot of things that are great about it. There's a lot of things that, that have made it um, easier. But I think there's a lot of things that have kind of zapped the personality out of it. And there's, there's, and I think it started with the bus compression. It started with the, the wars of getting louder and louder and louder. I think, I think that's the biggest place where it's taken personality out of mixes. Right. Because and you I, can give a mastering engineer – I'm not dissing mastering engineers because I do a lot of mastering too. But – you can give them a really great mix with personality and it's not the mastering engineer's fault. It's the loudness wars, but all that compression and slamming shit stuff uh, is um, – that's what's taking all the person- y- yes, personality Yes, but if the record label is insisting on that and you don't get the gig unless you do that – you well, know, yeah, stay yeah, in business. Exactly. You, you, yeah. you do that. I, I'm actually finishing up the third edition of the Mastering Engineers, Engineers Handbook. So I – I've talked to all of the major mastering engineers, all the legends, the the Bob Ludwig's and Bernie Grunman's and and you know everybody Glenn Meadows and all those guys. And to a man, they'll tell you that they would prefer that the loudness wars not mm-hmm. not be done, but they're forced. And, yeah. and, and one of the things that I find encouraging is the fact that all of them see it backing off a little bit to yeah. some degree. Yeah. And uh, especially now they're there's more of a demand for high res, uh, high res mastering, and they don't need it crunched as much. And I think that's a good, you know, it's a good trend. Let me let, let me ask you guys this: Could you identify a particular engineer's mix? Yeah. Nowadays, you could do it. Yeah. You would say that's this person's mix. Yeah. For, how, how? for a few of them that have a real yeah. style, I could. Like, tell me, tell me some, tell me some that are out there that you can. Elliot Shiner, I can always tell his mixes. They're quite musical, actually, and they could be extremely dense. And just like you're talking about, he he's one of these guys where he can have a hundred tracks and you can hear every single one of them. You know, but yet it will sound really musical and it's not terribly squashed. But now. 
and he, the tracks he gets are great to begin with because he mixes the Eagles and he mixes Steely Dan and, right. and you know, right. okay, so he's getting great stuff to awesome begin with. Awesome in equals awesome out. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it has a lot to do with it, right? But he's done, you know, a lot of other stuff and it sounds great. Um, but you would know his mix. I if would. He didn't, if it was blind, it's like, here's, here's you know, four different mixes. Tell me who mixed this. I, and, uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you something of else. the same too. song or? Yeah. Just, a, a lot of it has to do with the people I've worked with. Right. If I haven't, a lot of times I've foregone mixes myself and I've hired people because right. of record label pressure or whatever the case, or I just thought there'd be some somebody better for the job. And I've learned what they sound like, you know, pretty much through that, through personal experience. So, yeah, I could tell. I can tell, especially with those that I've worked with or worked closely with or, you know, hung around with for sure. Okay, so there's still plenty of room for a person to develop their style, to develop their sound and to to market it out there, right? I mean, we're not past the threshold where anybody who knows how to work the tools can pretty much mix anything that's out there. So I have a couple of thoughts about, uh, you know, about visual mixing. Um, I think that we're all talking about the same thing in a certain way. Visual mixing is here to stay, particularly as far as post-production goes. It's completely impossible to think about mixing a film or television or a video game or anything like that where um, audio is used in service to picture without thinking of a digital audio workstation to be able to do it, to do that for a number of different reasons, you know, not the least of which is just simply the fact that everyone, everyone does it that way. Um, All of those tools we completely rely on as crutches and it would be foolish and silly to try to be able to go back and turn back the clock on those kinds of things. Um, but I'd like to turn the attention to music just for a minute because I've been thinking about this whole, the whole time that we've been talking about this. Um, and I was thinking about all of the favorite music that I have. And I have you know, a very wide and eclectic range of tastes in music. None of my favorite music, and I mean none of it, was mixed on a digital audio workstation. All of it was mixed from a two-inch 24-track hmm. analog tape or a you know, half-inch four-track tape or I can't um, say that. some other thing. I can't say that. That's great. Yeah. But is that, me. is that because of the taste in music you have? Yeah. Because of the era? Or it's the, because of all, it's or, because of a lot of things. It's because for me, um, for me, a, a tremendous amount of music is all about expressivity. Um, and it's about the expressivity of the players. And yes, of course, I understand that they're still making great jazz records now into Pro Tools and they're still making great classical records. And I'm not trying to denigrate that in any way, Bobby. I'm not, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that for me, over the years, um, what has become really important to me in music is the ability to just hear a musician be able to play or a series of great musicians be able to play in as unvarnished a way as possible um whether that's a that's, different era though Nick. well i know but that's the but that's the music that i that's the music that i love and that doesn't mean that modern music is bad i'm not saying that at all no, i'm I saying know. that the stuff that resonates with me the stuff that i hold on to and that i want to listen to at the end of the day is right. stevie wonder or steely dan or the beatles or you know these phenomenal there's enough music that was recorded in the 70s alone to keep me going for the rest of my days rob you know? how does stevie record these days um, well, when he's writing, he'll use, uh, usually Cubase and then, but it's all Pro Tools recording, but it's with super high end, you know, A to D's and D to A's and trying to get it to approximate analog as, as well as possible. In his perfect world, we'd be recording everything with DSD instead of PCM, mm-hmm. digital audio. And we've tried every multi-track DSD system and that is just like, it's still frontier days. It's been around for a long time yeah. and it's still just an absolute nightmare. Mm. 
for anyone who's not familiar with DSD, it's basically an audio format where you know, in, in PCM, you think in terms of samples, like you might have 16-bit samples or 24-bit samples. Well, in DSD, the samples, in short, they sort of grow and shrink as they need to to accommodate the audio. So you the can sample never, rate's like one gig or something. Well, it, it, it approximates that because it, it, yep. it's just everything is constantly changing. So the idea of mixing it digitally is a nightmare. You need massive computer hardware because you can never be guaranteed that all your tracks are at the same point in any data word at the same time. Wow, that's but, that's that's a lot of information. But it sounds like the best analog you've ever heard without the noise. It's it's phenomenal sounding. I mean, when you do high high bit rate uh, or high uh, yeah bit rate and sample rate PCM. It starts to get close, mm-hmm. but it's still not quite as good. But it's wow. a lot easier to work at you know one ninety two Pro Tools than it is DSD. Yeah. Is but DSD so, the future? Do you think? Or well, because of the computer it's the, speeds are going to be better. It's the it's the future of the past. In the past, they thought yeah. it was the future, but right. there was never an easy way to. <laughs> In the nineties, yeah, really it, it was. Everyone they thought, thought it was, was the future. Thing, yeah. Well, it's what uh, Super Audio CDs were, uh-huh. and it's. Uh, I mean, Korg had a handheld DSD recorder that was phenomenal sounding. But and they, they still have a rack mount one. That, no, do they matter, still? As a matter of fact, it was funny because one of the mastering guys, it must have been Glenn Meadows, I think, in Nashville, telling me that he thought it was the best thing, and and he mixes to it when he's doing something analog. And, well, uh, it's, well, it's, it's phenomenal the filters. I mean, the whole filter scheme. For what I thought, well, I it doesn't need them because you don't have the aliasing and other problems exactly. that you have yeah. with PCM. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. But even at this Nam show for. Those of you who saw me walking around with Stevie, we were on a quest for DSD, even at this NAM show. And this was the first NAM show in a while that we basically found none. Um, I wasn't aware that Korg still had a DSD piece because we have tons of their portable recorders. Yeah, yeah. No, was, this is a, a two-track rack, rack mount. Yeah, I'm sure it's just a newer version of what they had in the handheld. But, I mean, we bought uh, tons of those handheld things. Because for Stevie, a digital recorder, I think I've said this before on the podcast, but it's like us buying a digital camera. It's how he takes pictures of his kids. It's how he takes pictures of his family. It's all audio for him. So it's like buying the world's greatest camera to buy the world's greatest portable recorder. So if anybody out there knows of a new portable DSD from any manufacturer at any price, please uh, get in touch with us. Hey, Rob, what would happen mm-hmm. if you were to lash together a whole bunch of DSD recorders and run them all through an analog mixer? Well, the synchronization is hard because they don't. You, there's no such thing as word clock mm. because the word changes size. So they would. There are so multi tracks. Like Pyramix it would makes be a clock. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pyramix makes a uh, a DSD multi track that's probably the most modern one that people are using. But I think it only goes up to I forget eight or sixteen eight, it tracks. It was eight track the last time I saw. But and you can you can strap them together with Simpty, and there are ways to do it. But there's no way to. Mix the way we think of Pro Tools in the box mixing. There's no way to do that. And I mean, Stevie has a massive uh, uh, analog console that we can strap machines together and run through that. But we've still never found the kind of workstation we really need because we really need a rack that we can throw into a truck and take someplace and you know record 96 tracks uh, of this quality. It just doesn't exist. Well, I wanted to. Uh on, on that, Rob, I wanted to talk about mixing, and I wanted to talk, about, and we're going to start the series because two things: I wanted to, you know, show people, you know, where we've been, where we're going, but also, you know, it looks like there's still room as as a young mixer out there, or as somebody who's starting off. It, there's still some room to define yourself as a mixer, and you should really strive to do that because there's a lot of people that can mix, and there's a lot of tools that will get you a mix, but 
if you really want to stand out, you got to find ways to make your mix uniquely yours and to have your sound. And I think that's going to be more and more important as people get more and more precise with the tools that they have. You know, um, there's a great YouTube video, and we've talked about it on the podcast before. It's on. Uh, it's the documentary on 10cc's I'm not in love. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And if you guys ever want to get inspired just the mixing process, the loops, the the analog Yeah, loops just the there. way those guys had to mix that song. It's such a great classic song and all the the uh the vocal Oz. The vocal Oz that yeah. sound like a fair light that we would so just take for granted nowadays that it was patch 14 on some synth. They're doing that all live. They're, they're pushing and pulling faders because they recorded each harmony's specific notes and, and they have notes as to how to create this, this note by this fader and this fader and this fader going up and at what time. And they're doing it all in real time. And that's, I mean, I love watching that. It's such a great, Great little video, and it's really cool on mixing. I mean, that that's there's some hardcore mixing. Search my blog; it's on it. Is it really? Yeah. It's, isn't it? It's it's amazing. It's yeah. just truly amazing. This Look, is kind of the point that I was trying to get to earlier, Mike. I mean, that is a perfect example of people having to be able to work the thoughtfulness and the amount of time that it took them to solve those problems and be able to figure it out. Meant that they were spending a lot of time developing the craft of creating that one song. Yeah, and that's just something. There's something. I, I guess the difference for me is that mixing used to be a lot more fun. It was well, really the, nice. But it's more than just family. even balancing levels and making sure the vocals come out. A lot of times, you know, someone will record a drum kit and it sounds boring. Yeah, it's And a then you smash power. it yeah. and you start doing parallel processing and, and lots of willy tricks. And all of a sudden, it's nothing what the drummer played. Or, you know, or a yeah. kid vocal and just giving it that extra little pop, that, that power that comes out. And all of a sudden, that's kind of cool. I mean, and there's also not only the mixer, but the guy recording it. What mics do you choose? How do you choose? Why did you choose? What do you decide to use? What don't you decide to use? Um, you know. Well, that's just the thing is that, you know, time now, timelines have shrunk exponentially. You know, people, engineers don't have time to do that kind of stuff anymore. It, it, it also depends on the medium. I think, I think what's happened is, and maybe I'm just being naive, I think more product has come out. Yeah. So what's happened is this high-end product – there's fast product, sometimes this indie product, which can be anything, sometimes it's amazing, and sometimes it's just fast. So it depends on what you want to do and, and what you're mixing for. Um, and you know, whether it's, 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 a, it's a high-end record, if it's just a pop tune, if it's something for YouTube. You know, I think there's, 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 the good news is there's work for everybody in many different fashions. But there's, I still think there's an art form that is in mixing and uh, the choices that are made of what you're going to use and what you're not going to use. I mean, I've been a, you know, I'm just going to speak for post real quick, you know, whether it's Gary Rydstrom or Mike Minkler, Mike Minkler gets dialogue through like nobody else in really complex situations. Where, uh, 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 Gary, uh, I mean, he it makes it very clean. The Skywalker mixes that have come up really nice. I mean, the, uh, Everybody's got slightly different styles, and um, 
Yeah, you, no can tell, you can tell Skywalker mix. Yeah. You can, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know. Well, I'll tell you, um, these next couple of podcasts, we're going to try to get some uh, some mix engineers in here, and we're going to pick their brains, and we're going to talk about mixing and uh, and the creative process. And it's it's a it's a good time. I'm not look. I'm not painting the picture that it was much better back in the day because I bet if you talk to those 10 CC guys, if there was an easier way to get that song to be what it is, they would be the first ones to jump on board. But having said that, if it wasn't for that process. I don't know if that song would have been nearly as great as that song is. So you guys check it out online, and and uh, and we'll put a link up, and uh, and you know you let us know what you think about that. Um, the new tools are great. The new mix processes are great. The new just roles, like you know, I'm finding myself doing a lot of sound design and mixing. I mean, there was a day when that was the sound design came to me, and then I mixed it, and now I'm doing a lot of sound design and mixing at the same time. And that's that's a whole different ball game, and you're working on just on a on a different level. It's really fun. I mean, it's really fun because you can swap things out and you can try crazy stuff. Um, but it's different. It's it's it hasn't you know it's never been that way, and and that's mainly because of uh, of budgets and things like that. You know, good conversation not for this time, but for next that I, we can think about, and that's because it's important. Is control surfaces for mixing, and I'm not talking just the mouse. With the with the S six coming out, with the price tag that it's coming out, because there's no audio going through these devices anymore. It's not like do you want a Neve or an SSL and an API. Now, what's going to warrant you to spend sixty thousand dollars, a hundred thousand dollars for a control surface that there might be a control surface for five or ten thousand? Right. What's the pros? What's the differences? Especially for a flat but one. The, but there are. That's I mean. Cheap. The way well, the for fifteen dollars, but it's, a, right. it's an interesting discussion. No, it's we, we, so will, we had. You know, you, you know what? We will talk about that because one of the things that I want to tease on a future one is is actually, um, you know, you know, I've stated how I felt about touch, and I've stated that, but I'm kind of evolving more and more as I'm watching some of this stuff. But you do realize that once you get into the realm of touch. That's that's visual. I mean, that's like you you really gotta you gotta look where you're. But also how a fader feels. But tactile. That's true. That's true. But strings and Fender or Gibson. But it's it's really visual. You're going to be doing that. But it also leaves a lot of room for some developers to do some amazing things where you're not tied in specifically to to what your hand is touching on the screen. But it can get back into gesturing. I mean, I'd love to see multi-touch where you, it doesn't matter what you're looking. You're working on a 20-inch tablet in front of you, and you have your fingers there, and they're gestures. And you can kind of, if you squeeze, you know, then you're thinning out the sound. If you bring it out, then you're making it fatter. If you're moving your hands up as you're doing that, you're bringing up the volume. You're bringing it down. I mean, there's a lot of but really how about holograms Wait, doing it? The, but, but, with the hologram. but the other part is there's one a lot of, of the cool stuff, which. A part of that we'll get to later, but is is tactile feedback because in the glass or lack thereof, yeah, or, lack of, yeah. or like in video games where all of a sudden there's a vibration, could they start putting it in? You know, the words some kind of feedback to you, what you're and, doing, and you know, a lot so of this technology sense in like in in a touch screen that yeah. kind of thing. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? A lot of the technology is available and and will be. You could do that. I mean, you could really. I was thinking, you know, like with Lemur, where you put a control multi touch. You just assign it a number. It's a controller. You have velocity that you can use, and you can go in and out. And the technology is there. And even haptic feedback on your. On your touchscreen, you know, 
if you if you know anything about drumming, one of the big things with the drumming world is they put that little vibrating that little. It used to be a sub, but that little. Oh, the 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 kick. Um, yeah, the kick. Um, um, yeah. Transducer, the little thing that they put on their yeah. on their uh, on the throne, so they could feel the kick. Well, there's no reason why you can't do something similar to that, so that you can get that same type of that feedback. Either it's you know on their wrist or on your back or whatever. You could, I mean, there's room. There's a lot of room to do some of this stuff. So it's it's all it's exciting. And there's, have there's have you ever stuff. played with one of those haptic feedback mice? It's so weird. I checked one out for Stevie years ago because we were always looking for new ways for him to use you know. Things with screens, and I forget what company it was, but they had a mouse where, like, if you had burlap, like a burlap image on the screen, and you moved your mouse over it, it felt like you were moving the mouse over a burlap cloth. That's and then cool. if you moved onto That's a smooth cool. surface, it, it smoothed out, and so the mouse would sort of feel like whatever you were running over. So you'd run over the gravel, and it felt all gravelly. Now, see if I, if on your touch screen you could feel the fader, but that might be the that next would be gen, pretty cool. the next that, gen. Now, see that that would work for we me. We feel I mean, there's a tactile yeah, resistance. Yeah, yeah. There, and you know what? That kind of stuff can work. And actually, um, you know, if you look at, uh, I'm kind of a computer gaming geek also, and I have a really good force feedback wheel. And the force feedback, you know, when I'm driving on gravel, it's when I'm on the when I feel the back, you know, if I'm playing a game and my back wheels get away from me and I start to slide, you feel. That you feel that slide, so I mean the technology is there. And, go ahead. Robert. Well, I'll tell you my big thing about all these new ways to control things, like the idea of being able to pinch a sound, you know, or or whatever to visually affect a mix. I think that a lot of companies are figuring out the micro, but not the macro. In other words, they they figure out. Okay, if I'm working on this one sound, it's amazing. I can squish my fingers around and I can bring out the high end, and then I can squeeze it, and it gets more stereoish and all this other stuff. But that's only useful on a real big project. It's only useful in the context of all the zillions of sounds going on in the project. Yeah. And most of these technologies are about focusing on one channel or on a few channels. And I think the organization of many channels is where they fall apart. Yeah. And I think whoever solves that, that's, that's the true. reason the iPad I still don't feel is a serious tool for that kind of stuff. This is not the same conversation we had earlier, so don't worry. <laughs> but I'm saying on a small screen, like there are some amazing synths and some amazing things that that do a focused single thing right but in the context of a song i mean think about what pop music production is like today and that's what i've been working on recently i mean we just completed a mix uh yesterday and actually tweaked it today it's 180 tracks which is not necessary but that's the way it ended up being i'm proud and, of you. well i know you're well for you that's like uh <laughs> that's like dialogue yeah that's that's the footsteps is 180 tracks but that's a quick mix for him. That's exactly. <laughs> for us, though, I mean, once you start to organize that, and I mean, I, I say that you, know, you need to mix with your ears, but I'm definitely not afraid of visual mixing. We have a zillion screens right. and all that other stuff. But still, it's the organization of that many sounds. Yes, it's cool if you can get in and do something graphic and cool and amazing and weird with one sound, but it has to be in the context of being able to juggle so many sounds all right and you know what on that we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up um because that uh, gives us some place to go so you know like i said for the next couple podcasts we're going to concentrate on mixing and we're going to try to bring in some guests and we're going to pick their brains and we're going to talk about about mixing because it's uh it's exciting it's exciting with some of the tools that are coming out it's exciting with some of the things that are coming out what's not exciting is uh latency and what's not exciting is some of the new problems that you have i mean i'll give you a quick example I was bouncing an M and E stem, and 
my stereo was was hitting on the money and and my center sub and surrounds were about a quarter of a frame later so everything had this slight little phase on all on all the surrounds when i when you especially when you folded it down the stereo it was pro tools and you just had different chains going no it was it was it was one plug-in and and then bust off that one off that one track um we were busting over are, to are you doing a latency compensation yes had and and i was and showing that's, by every, the way really screwed up and in the everything portals. everything was green and it was all everything said hey it's working fine except my ears and when i actually looked at the waveform all those tracks were off a quarter of a frame i found yep. out what it was though you know what it was it was the bus so the latency was driving us was driving me nuts, and and I couldn't figure out where the quarter frame was, and so I started. I had to go back through the template, and I removed a bus from one of the channels, just that we were bussing out to another channel, and I removed that bus. Totally, everything lined up, and this was a bus out. This wasn't even a you know in the signal train. It was just coming off. We're bussing onto something else, and that's the kind of stuff that. That drives me nuts. And so we'll talk about some of that stuff and some of the challenges of mixing and things like that. Anyhow, Ethan, thank you so much for joining us, man. I thank you really, for having me. really appreciate it. And um, I'll put a link to your website because you, uh, what are you doing right now? Are you? Um, I am uh, working at Disney um, and doing dialogue, editing, mastering for apps. Awesome. Yeah. Hey, how fun was working on Epic Mickey, though? That was such a great, was great video game. It was awesome. Bringing all those classics and all the news yep. and bringing everything together. Yeah, it was a really cool – I mean both we did – I did Epic Mickey 1 and 2. Right. And they were both really great games and working with all that talent was really fun. Because you were working with like Bob Cummings and all those all those guys, right? Yep. I mean yep. the voices. Jim and, Cummings. Yeah, um, Jim. Sorry. Rusey Taylor, the voice of uh, – actually, no, she was not in that game. Um who else? Tony Anselmo, Donald Duck, Bill Farmer, Goofy, yeah. all those guys. That's that's awesome. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. And you know we'll have to bring you back too because uh, I want to I want to do a whole segment on recording uh, vocals and voice and things like that between you and Randy and some of the other guys that I know. There's, that would be quite the dream team. That's yeah. that's that's pretty cool. There's some really good stuff. And there's a lot of people that know how to do it and there's a lot of people that think they know how to do it and yep. then you get there you get the the stems and you hear way more room than you hear vocals so yep. all right well hey uh before we go rob you want to yes, fill us in on uh anything that you what i'm doing? doing yeah well uh i continue to split myself between multiple cities although it's nice to be here for a change to see you. i do theoretically live here so it's nice to be back um so the music project I'm working on in Austin, by the next podcast, I should be able to speak about it a lot. Nice. Uh, we're finishing up the first few singles and have come up with some great marketing and PR plans for it. And it's going to be hilarious to listen back in a while to these podcasts when I wasn't allowed to talk about it because later this year, I'm hoping it's going to be all you ever hear. <laughs> That's great. Um, been working on that. I've been uh, actually doing some trailer music out here which is wow like a blast from my past but it's nice to be doing some of that again because it feels like home and uh unrelated to music my software company that we've talked about a little bit drop to your shop is starting to go gangbusters so if you haven't checked out drop to your shop.com check it out has nothing to do with music but it's really cool (laughs) and i've been building it for the last three and a half years so i'd like someone to appreciate it thank you (laughs) that's awesome nick 
Um, well, Disney, I'm doing the old app stuff as per usual, right. grinding through all sorts of interesting, fun things there. Um, at home, I just switched over to Mountain Lion, uh, which then precipitated endless numbers of software updates. Logic 10, which is fantastic. Uh, had all sorts of Pro Tools issues until I got into Pro Tools 10.3.8 and played with the delay compensation engine, which fixed a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and between that and just getting uh, Native Instruments Complete 9 and starting to fool around with that, I mean, there is an unbelievable number of new tools there that I'm uh, enjoying and having fun learning. It's great. I'm in the middle of That's installing great. that right now as, <laughs> we, as we speak. <laughs> do you have Ultimate or do you just have Complete? Uh, the complete was quite enough as it was. Well, Thank you very much. Yeah. It's ultimate, man. Though. Ultimate, the yeah. one nice thing about Ultimate is it all comes on that little hard drive. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it took a while to install yeah, all of that part. stuff. That's, <laughs> that's the best part. That is why yeah. I buy Ultimate. That yeah. is the single reason. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the, I mean, I, not to yeah, make it No, 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 not at all. Yeah. It's great. I, you know, I've, I have, I, it's something I, you know, it's a philosophical thing that we need to discuss on another, you know, at another yeah. show. I mean, you know, if I have chemo, why do I need Reactor? Yeah. And it becomes one of these large-scale things like that. It's like, how how many tools do you need to, in order to be creative? And it's tough because there's so many great things out there. How many yeah. tools do you need and how long do you possibly need to install? And why does it take seven hours to do Omnisphere with the full library? I mean, it's ridiculous how long that software takes to install. I mean, I don't know if it's seven hours, but it's a long, I'll, long time. I'll put complete into perspective. I started it. 10 a.m. this morning and by 6 p.m. I was on disc eight uh disc g of j that's ridiculous uh, yeah ridiculous. yeah scott <laughs> hi <laughs> what am i doing um i uh, started a new movie called book of life nice so um um yeah that's kind of what i'm doing great bobby well busy as always um some new books just came out, and uh, working on some other ones. Uh, third edition of Mastering Engineer's Handbook, like I was just saying. Um, I'll be doing three more Deconstructed Hits books pretty soon. And I think it's Classic Rock Number 2, Volume 2, British Invasion, and Prog Rock are the next three. Nice. Which should be fun. I'm and very excited. And what I'm especially excited about is next week I go on vacation. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to spring training in Tampa, Florida, and then I'm off to the Caribbean on a nice cruise. Wow. Nice. (sighs) So we won't be seeing Bobby for a little bit. Yeah. But when he comes back, he's going to have a great tan. (laughs) (laughs) Like I can't get one here. (laughs) I know. That's true, too. Which I can't, actually, because I never go outside. It was only 87 (laughs) in the winter. He's got a studio tan. Uh, how about you, Mike? Um, I'll be starting two more series up in a couple weeks, which is kind of cool. So I'm looking forward to that um, animated series. But one thing uh, I'm going to do is uh, on Facebook, I'm going to I'm going to start a post because I want to find out what people do away from audio and away from music, and I want to find out you know what you do to recharge yourself. And the only reason why I'm saying this is because I got into two things these past couple weeks. I took a little break. Number one, I built this roller coaster called space warp it's awesome it's this little tube that has these little um little iron balls and you build like roller coaster tracks with like loops and everything like that it was it's you know what it reminded me of when i was a kid and i used to build models and you know there's just something about losing yourself in something 
that's like that. That's kind of creative and you're just kind of doing and you're kind of building. And it was just, it was actually really therapeutic. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. You know, I don't know where I'm going to put the thing. It's gigantic <laughs> now. And I'm like, where are we going to put this? Who needs a dining table after all? <laughs> but I'm going I'm to post a picture of it on Facebook. And, uh, and I just want to see what other people do because, you know, you got to have some balance in your life. And the other thing that put me out of balance is I got into Minecraft. Right. Oh. <laughs> oh my gosh! It's Lego for oh, adults. Uh, it's, well, you know like, what? My ten-year-old son. It's on the weekends, twenty hours. And you know, I, it's becoming such an issue with my nine-year-old. And, and oh my god! See, that's I, all, that's I, all they do. I feel and good. then they want to watch no. YouTube videos of other people doing <laughs> freaking oh, yeah, Minecraft. Oh. All right. So let me just say, don't get me started. I had Minecraft. It's the, it's the ten-year-old in you, huh? I Minecraft, Mike. I've, I had Minecraft. I've actually had it. For, I bought it a long time ago when I first read about it, and I never ever like who wants to play with eight bit graphics and all this other stuff, right? And then I Are you decided on the servers to, now. I decided to no, I decided to give it a shot, and it's oh my gosh, it's so addicting, and you're building stuff. And when so, you start stealing things from other servers, I do, and I do survival mode, and you're like <laughs> yeah. the first time the creepers come out, and you're like whoa, you know, kind of kind of freaks you out. It's crazy, and there are so many mods for it. There's an enormous worldwide community. I am so embarrassed. I really am. It's I'm, awesome, I'm, but, but it's uh, you know, but uh, but that was actually kind of fun. But I'll tell you this: one of the awesome things about it is the soundtrack is is really phenomenal. It really is appropriate for for what you do and the music is just gorgeous it's it just really nice is. gentle piano Isn't music it? it's, it's really nice it's but really it's, good yeah. and it's so appropriate for what you do anyhow that's that's all well hey listen uh, we're running long <laughs> what else is new right um, but uh, if you want to contest contact us you can reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com that's audio at nowcastnetwork.com and uh, we look forward to hearing you and thanks for uh, some of the kind words that you've been sending and uh, look for that post because I want to see what other things that you guys do out there that's not audio related you know I don't know build birdhouses or whatever so um, alright thanks a lot Ethan for joining us from myself and all the guys thank you very much thanks for listening and we'll see you next time Listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and West Wave Audio. The Audio Nowcast is hosted by Mike Rodriguez and uses Aphex's 230 Master Channel Voice Processor. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Music.